This episode is brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles, serving adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories available online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can sign up for their e-rider newsletter too. It's free. That's maxbmw.com. And Best Rest Products, home of Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire and Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. You know, whether you're on the road or off the road, you'll need a compact and reliable tire inflation method. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system and will inflate a flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, and get this, it comes with a lifetime warranty. It's the pump we use here at Adventure Rider Radio. Visit them at CyclePump.com. That's CyclePump.com. Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles, tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding. Green Chili Adventure Gear is also the exclusive USA distributor for Outback Motor Tech, a Canadian company that specializes in high-quality protection for motorcycles. Visit them at www.greenchiliadv.com. Greenchiliadv.com. Sometimes, getting into the rhythm means tossing your plans aside and and just going with the flow. Not for all people, but quite often for many of us, when we leave on a trip, be it a, a few weeks, months, or a year or more, We face emotional and financial hurdles. So first we spend time planning and we reach a point where we've crossed all of our T's and dotted all of our I's. We know exactly how things are going to go, where we'll we'll be and how much money we're going to spend, and at least so we think. But then once on the road, some of us may feel homesick or lost. We get lonely, maybe get financially strapped, worried or unsure about how the trip will pan out and how life will pan out, really, by doing this. But as many long-distance travelers find that if you persevere, you hang in there just a little bit longer, then these things are usually overcome, and then you fall into a kind of a rhythm, a rhythm with the road. And soon, the road becomes your home. You meet new people, you experience new cultures, you experience new places. And you can find work in different places uh, as you go on your trip, if you're into that sort of style of trip. Or maybe you're self-employed, you write articles, you blog, you make films. Once you find your niche, though, at least for a lot of people, and this isn't for everyone, of course, your comfort zone is expanded and you really begin to thrive. But as you know from the the many extended travel riders we've interviewed here in the past, there's those that feel that need to return home at the end of the trip. They've, They've done what they want to do and they're ready to go back to the traditional life. And then there's those that don't. They just don't fit in. And Scooter Tramp Scotty, for instance, or Michelle Hope, those are both great examples of true living on the road. Finding work wherever they go, uh, connecting with old friends, making new ones. It's almost like, you know, when if you, if you ever went to camp as a kid, if you were lucky enough to go to camp, you know, you'd go to camp, and, and this is really common at camp. They deal with this all the time. The kids go to camp, they get there, and they immediately want to go home. They hate it. They cannot stand it. 
because they're sort of focused, I think, on on being away from their normal life. But after they're they're almost forced to stay there past that period, once they've pushed beyond that, it becomes the best experience of their entire lives. Scotty Corrects, or better known by his pen name as Scooter Tramp Scotty, has been on the road for over 20 years. And he's living a life that he he carved out for himself, a style that suits him regardless of the social norm. Hello, my name's Scotty. I write under my pen name, Scooter Tramp Scotty, because I write for a few magazines and stuff. I've been on the road living off an old motorcycle for 21 years now. But during that time, I haven't stayed any one place more than two months. I travel the whole of the U.S., Canada, and Mexico. And, uh, let's see, people usually ask what I did before this. And, uh, before all this, you know, when I was young, younger, I was a contractor, roofing contractor. I was in that business for 22 years. And I, uh, I had a three-bedroom house, two cars, and a truck, and a uh, big front yard, big backyard, nice furniture, TV, VCR, remote control, all the paid channels, you know, all that stuff. And that stuff just didn't work for me, man. A lot of my friends it worked for. But for me, you know, I just, you know what happened was I would work all week at my job and then I'd do the work around the house I couldn't do in the week because I was busy working. <laughs> and I just, it didn't work for me, man. And so one day, I, after a lot of thought and stuff, I uh, went out to my truck and I put my bike, I always had a pad of bike, I put my bike, my, my tools, and some clothes in there, and I drove away, man. I left that stuff sitting there. And uh, I bought a little Airstream trailer for $1,100, an old one. I pulled it over and stuffed it on a friend of mine's property, charged me 150 bucks a month to keep it there. I got rid of that big GMC truck because it was a gas hog, and I bought one of them Toyota mini trucks everybody used to drive back then um, for $1,400, no, $1,600 and change. I drove that for five years, fixed a few things on it, and that threw me into an early retirement because all my bills were now, including for telephones, before cell phones, were under, it was under 160 bucks a month. So all of a sudden, man, I was working too much and making too much money, which didn't make sense. And so I cut my workload back, began to work two to three weeks, and I'd take two months off. And I got bored. Then I started trying a lot of different things, and I started going a lot of different places. Before, I hadn't felt like I had a life. When I had when I had the big house, when I had time off, I didn't even know what to do with it. I mean, I'd learned to work, but I hadn't really learned to recreate. And so I began to try a lot of things, and I hit on motorcycle travel. I had friends who took trips, and I began to go with them, and then I began to go alone. And uh, <clears throat> my travels got further and further. And then I think it was in 1991 I set out for my first month-long trip. And came back, and after that, back to San Diego, and after that, I was gone the next two summers, all summer long. And you know what happened? Jim had run out of money, and I keep going. <laughs> and I don't know how that worked. I kind of found the road to be self-perpetuating. Once I stopped, it was hard to get back on it, but as long as I stayed on it, it was hard to keep going. And uh, so I did that for two years, and in the spring of 94, and you know what happened, man? I started hating coming home. Then I started hating being home. And uh, so in the spring of 94, I took off to see if I could stay gone for a year. Now, granted, my landlord, when I was gone, I would turn 
my trailer off, and he charged me 30 bucks a month just to leave my truck and my trailer and my tools there. So that was, right, that was cool. And uh, so it took off, see if I could stick on for a year in 90, the spring of 94, and in the spring of 95, I came back, liquidated everything I owned, and I've been on the road ever since then. But I'm going to tell you something, man. It was not a uh, hardship. It's just that, you know what, man, my spirit came alive out here. And it was, and, and, and I just couldn't go back. But it was not a life of hardships of sleeping on a picnic table, you know, like under a tarp in the rain that I was looking for. I was trying to engineer. I was hoping to engineer a way that would work that was comfortable enough, dare I say comfortable enough, to work as a long-term lifestyle. Michelle Hope is another example of someone actually living on the road. In fact, Michelle was introduced to living on the road by Scooter Tramp Scotty. It was at a point in her life where she was looking for some change, and it was at life's crossroads that she met Scooter Tramp Scotty, who sort of taught her the way, at least his way, of living on the road. Yes, I I do time massage on the road. Right now I'm in San Diego. It's time for another motorcycle for me, and um, I'm here to try to make as much money as I can to put towards another motorcycle. So right now I'm doing massage for somebody with their clients on the road. I do Thai massage. It's done on a mat on the ground and it's um, fully clothed and it's, it's a really beautiful experience. So yeah, and that's a challenge, (laughs) but I'm, Trying to do massage on the road when you're not in a established place, getting referrals. But I'm working it out. Like I was able, I'm working it out, figuring it out. Like, what do I need to do? It's kind of hard when people don't know you and you're on a motorcycle. It's kind of hard to market that. Of course, on the other end of the spectrum, you've got the people who plan an epic trip, you know, for a year or so or six months or whatever, fully intending to return to the previous life. That's their plan right from the get-go. But after they get on the road and they get into the rhythm, they're bitten hard by the travel bug. And as a result, they just can't seem to give up. The name Ian Coates comes to mind as a perfect example of expanding wanderlust. Uh, Ian planned a a one-year trip that stretched into 14 years an extended trip. He just couldn't bring himself to return home until he was good and ready. And even when he did, he was only home for a a short while before he was planning his next adventure. So hang on, this is the point where you where you turns into the motorcycle adventure, clearly. Um, and and it's it's open ended. What's who's running your business? How how are you how are you getting by? My son's there and my wife's there in office and uh and she's uh, after a, a, a month or two, she says, well, what about the garage? I said, if I've ever got, you know, I got killed tomorrow, you and Jason would have it, wouldn't you? She says, yes, well, carry on then. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm riding back home. So, so that were it. So I just carted on. And I went down to the bottom of uh, South Africa uh, into um, uh, Cape Town. And then I went on the garden route. Uh, across the bottom into Swaziland and had a look round Swaziland and into Mozambique, a bit round there. Then I turn round and come back into um, uh, into Botswana and then across to Namibia, the other side, then up there. And I tried to go into Angola, but they were having a fight up there. So I came out of Angola and came across Capibish, uh, uh, 
previous trip, no, it were. Anyway, I came across into Zimbabwe, and then I went up Zambia, come back down Zambia, and then back into uh, Zimbabwe, and then into Zambia, yeah, Zambia, and then into Malawi. Wait, I'm getting all mixed up. Oh, then Tanzania. Went to Tanzania, and then I went to Zanzibar. I saw a ferry going out, and I, I do this. When I see a ferry, I get on it. I don't know where it goes to, but I thought I'll get on it. And it finished up at Zanzibar. And then I came across where uh, Freddie Mercury were born in Zanzibar. So I'd look around Zanzibar, then back into uh, Kenya, and then I went into onto Uganda, and then I parked my bike up, and I, well, got a canoe, and I went on uh, uh, Lake Victoria and spent a bit of time on an island at the middle of Lake Victoria, then came back, uh, and then I thought, I wonder if I can get into uh, Sudan at bottom, but they won't let me in there. So I went then back into uh, into Kenya, and then I got uh, into uh, uh, Uganda, no, I got into Ethiopia, to blagged me way into Ethiopia. So we're in Ethiopia, and then uh, I wanted a visa for Sudan. Anyway, uh, I got one after a bit, uh, a visa for Sudan, and, uh, and then I, I set off and uh, I got stopped at first military uh, post in Sudan, only to find out that I hadn't... Uh, a transit visa for a motorbike. I had only a visa for myself. So I had to come back, and it's a long story, but then I sneaked in, and then I, I finished up in Egypt, and then I got robbed in Egypt, in in Alexandra. Then I had enough brass to get a, a ferry to Cyprus, where I got some money from uh, sent to me to Cyprus. Then I got another ferry to uh, Greece, and then I got to Italy, and then I could ride back home there. Uh, back, uh, back to Ebden Bridge, and that just took me a year. I was like a few few months late, and then when I got home, wife wasn't right suited. Uh, she, uh, she, you know, she said, "Oh, that that mail's for you on there as well." So third, and I opened <coughs> it was from BSA Owners Club, and they were running a trip to uh, to Australia, uh, and it was very cheap. And uh, I thought, hell, I wonder if they've set off. So <clears throat> I rang them up. I think it be on Wednesday. And I said, have you set off to Australia yet, you lads? And they said, oh, no, no. We leave we, everything. All bikes have been in a container next Wednesday. So I took it down to Southampton on Monday and put it uh, in container. And then I flew out uh, to Melbourne <clears throat> and uh, picked my bike up. This is a, this is another trip now. So you, yeah. you got home in what you describe as a, a few months late, but but I got news for you, Ian. Like four months to a year—that's more than a few months late. But we'll just let that go anyway at this point. So how how soon after you arrived home, just a few months late, did you depart on this next trip? I don't think it were many months before I shut off, <laughs> because I think I serviced my bike before I uh, I did some jobs on it before I, I left, sent it. Mm-hmm. And everything has to be right. Anything you go to Australia, it has to be cleaner than new uh, for insects and stuff. So you had to completely strip it down and clean it everything off. I mean, I had a lot of insects in. I had half of the Sudan desert stuck under uh, fairing. Um, 
So I had to clean everything off <laughs> before I, I could take it to ship it across. And you end up in Australia. And, and how long do you spend in Australia? Well, well, I landed in Melbourne. And as I say, I don't have maps or GPS or all that. Uh, uh, what I do, I have a little diary. It's about three inch. And if you open back page, Map at World comes on. I get all get diaries like that. So that does for me. So I landed at Melbourne, and uh, I thought they thought they were going for like two month trip. I don't know how long I thought wife were going for. Well, she knew not to expect me back in two months. And uh, I thought, well, it's only an island. I'll keep water on left hand side. So I carried did on every peninsula went up and down till I got right at top, uh, halfway across on top of, on near water. Then I dropped straight down to Burralulu down to to Alice Springs in nine weeks in Simpson Desert, all the way around Birdsville and down to Cooper Pedy and then across uh, the other side and then up to Ayers Rock and back up to where I set off from, then across up top and then across to uh, Cairns, then right up to the top of uh, Cape York and then made my way down back to Melbourne. Well, that took me 11 months and I had a month left. So I went to Tasmania and did Tasmania. Then there was another island I saw and post office boat were going. So I put my bike on post office mail boat and went to North and South Bruny Island that not many people know it's there. Uh, and then I came back to Australia and that was just a year. And I thought, well, seeing as I'm down bottom at world, I'll go to New Zealand. So I went to New Zealand from there. You said you only had a, a month left. You were talking about your visa for being in Australia, but yeah. you told your wife you were only going to be a couple of months. In the end, you know, after, you know, we'll get to the rest of this trip, but in the end, how long were you gone for in total? Well, that were a year. It took me a year. And then from there, I went to New Zealand. I didn't go home. I went down to New Zealand because it's just <laughs> off the bottom of Australia. That's what I mean. But in total, by the time you came home the next time, how, how long was that? 2013. Wasn't that the 14 years later? Yeah. Ian, that doesn't strike you as, as a little late? Like a lot late? Well, no, because no, because my wife comes out to look at me. Oh, that makes it okay then. Yeah. <laughs> ah, I, see, I saw her seven times in 14 years. So it won't, and I spoke to her on telephone. And then there's some that go for a while, and then they return home for a time, and then they hit the road again just as soon as they can. Maybe they have work obligations or even health concerns, or maybe they just feel the need to spend some time with family before tasting freedom again. Aragoragian and Spirit, riding a motorcycle and a sidecar, Spirit being the dog, spend most of their time on the road, returning home for different seasons, always with the intention of getting on the road again as soon as possible. For those who don't know you and your story yet, um, you're riding a, a motorcycle with a sidecar with your dog, Spirit. Tell us about Spirit and how he came into your life. Ah, uh, Spirit, my golden dog. Uh, one day I decided, you know, I've had two dogs in the past in my life, and I love dogs. People have so much to learn from dogs. Uh, I just went to the Lumpkin 
County Shelter in Georgia and went a couple times. I I didn't pick him because he was a pit bull. I just picked him because he was in the last cage on the right. He was abused, about 15 pounds underweight. I'll never forget, he raised his head, he looked at me, I looked at him, there was a spark, that was it. I decided he's gonna come home with me. Actually, the manager didn't want me to have him. It was a Friday. No, it was during the week and they were gonna put him to sleep because he's a pit bull, you know, they have a bad reputation. And uh, one day she was off on a Friday and the assistant manager called me and said, if you want that dog, you better come and get him now. We'll sneak him out. And we did. We did. We snuck him out. It took months. It took quite a few months for him to rehabilitate himself. But... uh, that's the story with Spirit. Now I'm on his leash. He doesn't leave my sight. Stay with us. We got a lot more coming up next. Stitch.com forward slash ARR. That's the website you want to go to. That's the URL you want to use. And that way they know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Now, if you go to that URL um, with Arrow Stitch, you're going to get 10% off your first order or free shipping if you're a repeat customer. But right now, they're having a massive sale or celebration for the 33-year anniversary. 33 years. Think about it. That's 33 years of making great motorcycle gear for people like you and I. And, and of course, as you probably know, I'm riding with Arrow Stitch gear right now, and I absolutely love it. The 81 pants and the Darien jacket. I mean, they are fantastic. The best uh, pants and jacket set I've had yet and um, that comes from the heart now if you go to their um, their website you'll see that uh, they're offering 15% off in-store gear select in-store gear for the sale but they're also I think they've got a a 10% off um, other things that they have on sale to celebrate the 33 years and don't forget if you haven't got their catalog now would be the time to get it order it online or download it off their website www.arrowstitch.com forward slash ARR let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio this is Adventure Rider Radio, and this is Nick Sanders from Wales in Great Britain. Giant Lube makes tough, waterproof bags for your motorcycle. You can find cheaper, but you can't find better. The quote here from Cycle World Magazine, 2015, November. The best hardcore saddlebag and tank bag solution we found is from Giant Loop. There are cheaper solutions to carrying stuff, but these American-made pieces have been over mountains and across deserts with no issues. That says a lot coming from Cycle World Magazine. Remember, Giant Loop is a rider-owned company um, born from their own desire to build tough, durable bags to carry on their enduro bikes um, through the uh, the eastern Oregon high desert country. So they know what it takes to, to build a bag because they're riders themselves. GiantLoopMoto.com. If you use the promo code ARR, it's going to get you free shipping in the U.S. Anytime you're dealing with them, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. (laughs) 
Daniel Rince and his partner Josie have just completed riding their adventure from Alaska to Argentina. And when the trip was coming to an end, they realized they just couldn't stop riding and go back to a regular lifestyle. As a matter of fact, while they were sitting around a fire with a friend, Daniel made a remark of they were more afraid of returning to a a quote-unquote normal lifestyle and a job than they were of facing their next destination, which is Africa, underfunded. They'd rather figure out the financial bits as they go than go back to a normal lifestyle. And for some, this is hard to fathom. For others, well... We either dream about it or we do it. Daniel Rince is a traveler and filmmaker. As a matter of fact, he's a filmmaker through his travels of riding his motorcycle. He made the film Somewhere Else Tomorrow, which you can get apparently all over the place, as you're going to hear when I'm talking with Daniel up next. But right now, Daniel just arrived in Africa after completing his North and South American trip. And he's sort of getting settled in Africa. He uh, doesn't know a lot of people and um, is, is starting out from scratch, I guess you could say. I caught up with Daniel while he sat in a cafe while the power went out in his cafe or his restaurant that he was in. And he says, well, that's Africa. Daniel, great to have you back on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Jim. You were mentioning that someone had um, sort of picked up something you'd said at the campfire. They had mentioned that I think that um, something along the lines of that you were more scared of returning to civilization than you were about your impending trip to Africa with no money. Yeah, that's right. That was a very funny moment uh, in, in um, of what do you call Tierra del Fuego. We were sitting with a friend uh, on the, at the campfire, and we were talking about travel plans. And, and it just came out, and and we all, we all noticed the significance of it only after I said it. I said something like, um, "the the thought of going back to a regular life is more scary than facing Africa without money." Yeah, that's that's about what I said. And and funny enough, that guy Patrick who rides a 250 Yamaha uh, all over the world. Um, we've been riding with him on and off um, in, in Argentina and Chile. He emailed me um, a couple of days ago and um, he worked at Yamaha and he's been offered to come back and, and, and work a little bit more before he fully retires. And he said something very very similar um, um, when he emailed me he said the thought of going back to work is more agonizing than the moment when I tried to leave we, it was so funny we both laughed uh, and um, and I think he put both of these quotes on his blog um, so th- that's how strongly we feel about it it's really interesting because it's telling in so many ways. Like the the thing is, when you start out on a trip, you um, you sort of go through. And I've done nothing like what you have done, obviously. But even on my shorter trips, I find there's a there's sort of a period where it's bliss at first, and then you sort of get a little bit homesick. But you must be into a completely different phase. Um, I have talked to people about homesickness a couple of times, and to be honest. I've never ever had the feeling or anything close to it uh, during any of my journeys. It is only now after maybe 10 years on the road. I mean, the, the, the motorcycle journeys that I documented and put on social media, it's been five years, three years from 
from Europe through North Africa, Middle East, Asia, Australia, that was uh, just a bit short of three years. And then the Alaska-Argentina trip was two years. But before that, before I documented and photographed and everything, there was there were another couple of years that I traveled. So it's been a considerable amount of time. But it's only now that we briefly went back to Germany to prepare for Africa after having been on the road for two years, right? Um, and arriving here in South Africa that I feel, um, I wouldn't call it homesickness, but I've, we've gotten a taste of what life could be like at home with friends and all the conveniences and everything. And now we're facing Africa where, you know, especially in the central part, there's there's nothing that goes easy uh, politically, uh, infrastructure-wise and security-wise and so many ways, you know, even with food that a Westerner can digest or, you know, with the with the um, malaria or anything like this. You know, there's a lot of challenges, a lot of hurdles that, are, that we have ahead of us on this very wild and, and still very uh, unpredictable continent that we feel like, have we bitten off too much or more than we can chew? And I think... This is the closest what I feel to homesickness. So when you're talking about when you're at home, when you're back in Germany preparing for this trip and you're seeing your friends, the convenience and, and things like that, is it also a thing where you see your friends sort of working their way through life and accumulating all the possessions that we're supposed to accumulate according to you know our, our society? Is it sort of that you look at that and you think of, well, am I screwing up here? Am I doing the wrong thing? Of course, there's that thought, um, you know, comparing ourselves to our friends who've um, worked on one thing for several years and, and then been able to uh, harvest the fruits of it. Um, this is always difficult, but there's a lot of moments when we feel all our friends or some of our friends are concentrating on the wrong thing. They're concentrating on getting stuff or obtaining, you know, a security level or, you know, the mortgage, the thing, everything, you know, you know what I'm talking about. And in comparison, we have invested in, in memories, which you can't lose, right? So you can kind of feed off them your whole life. And uh, I'll never be able to, to say which is better, you know, to, to pursue a career and, and be able to, uh, to afford a couple of things and, um, you know, do other things with your life or, you know, just do what we do. There, there's no way of telling, but 99% of the time we feel the way we do it is the right thing for us. It's interesting because if you look at if you if you sort of zoom ahead to to life's you know where the golden years where the sun is setting and picture the two porches, you might have sort of a maybe a not so nice porch that you're sitting on, but you have a lot of stories and a lot of memories. And someone else may have a really fancy porch, but not a lot of memories because you know they went and they've done the same thing their entire life. And each one is right for the other. And I'm not not trying to say one is right over the other one. I'm just trying to say that I can imagine the kids flocking to your porch to hear the stories, you know, I I can imagine the people being interested in your stories over the story of a traditional life. That's, that's a very nice way of looking at it. I think I'll keep that in mind. I think I like that a lot. (laughs) (laughs) 
you gave a recap there of the places you've been. What movies did you produce? I've been um, working commercial for commercial projects uh, for about 10 years. Um, but the only real uh, movie relevant to, to what we're talking about, to motorcycling, adventuring, and discovery, is the movie called Somewhere Else Tomorrow, which is about a trip from Europe, um, Asia, Australia, basically halfway around the world. And this is the trip where I met Josephine, which became the love of my life and is now on road uh, on the road with me. And um, so there will be a sequel to it, which will contain all all the, uh, the, the, the adventures and experiences from Alaska to Argentina as well as everything that we will um, hopefully survive in in Africa. And you're now on on this Africa adventure. Clearly, you're underfunded, but that, that doesn't seem, <laughs> yeah. that doesn't seem to bother you. I mean, have you been? Would you consider yourself just an underfunded person? Basically, you're you know for the last ten years. Not really. It's been going up and down, and I've been surprised how well the Alaska. Argentina trip went, and it was the first time when Josephine and I traveled together, basically on on a zero budget to start with. Um, but the the movie Somewhere Else Tomorrow came out just just previous to the trip, and we've been so lucky that first of all, a lot of people knew about us through the movie. So especially in Canada and the U.S., um, they're, because they're so. Um, hospitable. They emailed us and said, you know, come by, we, we, we help you, we put you, you know, we give you a place to stay and everything. And also a couple of people offered some work. So we, for example, worked in, in Calgary um, on a construction site, to, you know, doing kind of random, random jobs there. And we also did some berry picking in BC uh, and, and all these things. And I worked on a, on a, on a documentary in Los Angeles and, 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 and a lot of things came up which helped fund the trip and also the movie um, produced a little bit of, of um, money so we had some gas money uh, which trickled in regularly through a London-based distributor who tried to sell the movie uh, worldwide and, and it has succeeded more or less I mean for, for what the movie is made by someone unknown and with no budget and and basically a newcomer with, with no idea it's been very very successful and that helped us a lot uh reaching our goal ushuaia in argentina i forgot to mention while we we're talking about the movie if someone wants to see it you can still get it like you have to you pay to rent it or, or buy it right um there's uh tons of ways to to buy it obviously i uh, benefit the most if you if you order it off my website open-explorers.com but it's also on iTunes it's on Amazon it's it's all over the place you can just google it it's it's it, because it's been taken on by distributors uh, it, it's available everywhere so that's that movie now are you working on another movie is that what the Africa trip is going to produce absolutely um, as I said before the the sequel will be the, the the three continents and North and South America as well as Africa, which completes the world circumnavigation. Um, so, it'll, I'm not sure yet how what I'm going to do exactly. It's definitely going to be a feature 
length documentary, uh, but I may also uh, create uh, some a series, like with some episodes, like six six episodes each half an hour long or something, because it's easier to sell to uh, TV channels as well as you know it's easier to to accommodate uh, all the all the contents that we've recorded right from the beginning you know josephine uh picked up how to to uh, work a camera i mean she's she's been a great photographer when we met but she has never um, taken video or anything like this so but we've both been filming our trip from from our own unique perspectives right from the beginning um and put this put together we produce twice as much footage right and also, um, yeah. So, and it's it's a lot. It's a long time. It's going to be three years by the time we get back. So it might not all fit into uh, into one movie. Uh, and we might want to tell a little side story here and there. So there may be uh, some series as well. We're hearing all kinds of sounds in the background there. This is the the sounds of where you are. Um, I hear trucks. Is it trucks backing up and different things? Things are happening all around you. Yeah, um, like as I said, this restaurant here, there's no power here. The, the waiters are quiet sitting for it to come back on. But on the road, there's a lot happening. There's a dump truck. Uh, I think it's a rubbish collecting or something. <laughs> it's hard to say. You're into Africa now. Um, what are you going to do? Um, as far as our... Um, well, I mean, you've arrived there. Where are you going? What, what is the plan? Or is there no plan? Well, you know us, there's not a lot of a plan. <laughs> I love that. We, I, I always say I'm a big fan of the no plan thing. It's something that I really enjoy. It's a way I like to work. Well, you know, usually um, our route is determined by where we can work and also by the people we meet and, and who we want to catch up with. But in here in Africa, we don't have too many connections. As a, only one person uh, I know uh, who lives about a thousand kilometers from here in Durban? Um, I worked with him in London many years ago, so we want to go see him. And everything beyond that is really open. We don't know. I mean, usually, you know, stuff comes up as soon as you meet people to tell you about places and places to see and go, and then uh, hand you over to their friend further up north, and then you meet them, and something else comes up. That's usually how it goes. Um, so. We'll, but for now, um, we have a lot of Africa and a little bit of Europe between us and our home. So who knows what happens? That's really interesting what you just brought up and sort of gave a little short ex- explanation of is how you meet someone and they lead you to the next person and everything. That, that's travel then, is it? I mean, that is at least your style travel is that um, you're sort of working through connections and meeting people as you go along. Oh yeah, we're very fortunate to be able to to travel. We have no set agenda, and uh, and meeting the people and and showing uh, their home or their wherever they live by these locals is what's so valuable. You don't see it as as tourists. You you see it as friends of locals, basically. And mm. and um, it's it's fantastic how this network. Um, works, especially the network of motorcyclists. It's incredible. You wouldn't believe how it unfolded in the Americas. There was one point in our journey when Joe and I looked at at each other and said, 
man, we have to create a list of people that we meet again. It's not that we meet a lot of people, but we meet them again all over the world. You know, in in Mexico, we we met a friend who I um, like a guy I became friends with in Australia maybe ten years ago, and then in in Chile. Uh, I bumped into somebody who I met in Laos like six years ago and like just by chance. Um, and, and this is incredible. It, this happens like so many times we have, I think on our list now there's 45 people that we've met more than once uh, between Alaska and Argentina. Oh, wow. And, and, and a lot of them, uh, by chance, but mostly, I mean, a big, a big, a role plays uh, social media, you know, with with Facebook and and all those kind of messengers. Uh, it's it's very very easy to keep track of where everybody is and and to, to catch up with them if they're close, right? So without the internet, it wouldn't be happening like this. I mean, I guess it could because you could send mail back and forth, but it would be deadly slow compared to the, oh, yeah. the connections you're making now. Oh yeah, 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 for sure. So you're in Africa now, you only have the one connection. What's your plan of action? Well, plan of action is uh, to get the bikes and give them some good TLC. Uh, once we get them, we've heard from our broker that uh, they are in the warehouse. Uh, we can maybe collect them tomorrow or the day after. And we've already talked to the local BMW dealer here, and they've been surprisingly open to the idea of having us work on our own bikes in their workshop. Um, wow. And uh, yeah, that was very cool. They, they seem to be really cool dudes, like like all, you know, they know what it's about. They're like, oh yeah, we're a traveler, sure, we can help you out. And uh, in 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 return, as a thank you, we will we'll give a presentation uh, down here in Cape Town uh, in a couple of days. I don't know. Uh, it's still in the process of being set up, but... Um, should be good and there should be should be some more connections valuable connections with other writers that's a nice exchange that you're doing there do you travel with like a, a whole bunch of your photos and sort of a uh, a collection of stuff that you've done so that you can do presentations just like that yeah i mean this is this this the thing i mean our bikes would be so much lighter and cheaper and easier to to uh, push through the mud if we didn't do media if you didn't make movies if you didn't take photos um so we carry a lot of gear and uh on the one hand it enables us to to make these movies that inspire other people to to, to travel uh and also give presentations but uh yeah i mean our clothes and and spare parts for the bike that's really like 20 percent of of what we carry on the bikes do you think that when somebody wants to do a trip, something like what you have done here and what you are doing, do you think that um, that you need a special skill set like you have? I mean, clearly you have some special skills here. Do you need that to survive or is there just, have you come across, because you're meeting people all the time and that's why I'm asking you this, or are there other people who have different ways of doing things, you know, surviving and, and making a little bit of money as they go through other means? To you mean to travel and, well, to and work travel. along the way? Yeah, to continue traveling. Oh. I, mean, I mean, unless you're independently wealthy and you can, if you've got some incredible income or you've been, you know, born into the right family, you're going to have to work. You, you can't just travel for years and you know have no money. Oh, I see what you mean. Of course, um, I think I'm not particularly well equipped with the skills that would enable me to stay on the road long. Sure, I mean. 
working with media and working over the internet helps a lot. But um, I think anybody, anybody can do it. And there is a lot of different models to do it. Uh, we met a very cool guy in Colombia, a Swiss guy. I mean, there's a lot of Swiss guys traveling because when they work, they make so much money, right? It lasts them for a year or two. But this particular guy, he was a carpenter and uh, he could he could find work anywhere in the Western world. And uh, he goes back to, to Switzerland to work for a couple months and then he goes to the US, Canada. You know, um, usually in the Western world, uh, handy jobs are now like like uh, is where where people are looking for workers it's not hard to find them and uh, obviously that's a different story in South America or in Africa where like 90% of the people work with their hands right mm. so it's not smart for a westerner to come in and say I'm going to help you build this house because they have a lot they have enough people to build a house but they may not have enough people to put the uh, the network in, in the house or, or something like this uh, so um, you, you, and the model, the models I was talking about, you know, we stay on the road continuously and, and try to work on the ground or over, over the internet. And that requires a lot of networking, but a lot of people are smarter than us in, in a way, because they, they work somewhere around the world, somewhere where they have made a connection, uh, as you know, whatever in it or whatever they, they, they make good money in and then they continue travel and they leave their bike somewhere and store it and then come back and and um, this is this is very smart of doing it because the uh, the motorcycle will need maintenance and for example in South America it was it was very hard for us to to uh, to maintain our motorcycles because the BMWs especially they're a luxury item and um, if you fly back home or fly back and forth in between the adventure and the Western world, you can bring the parts you need and, and put them in and continue, right? Uh, but being on the road for two years consecutively, that sometimes makes you order a $5 seal uh, via UPS overnight for $120 and then it arrives mm. at your doorstep at the hostel and, and the guy, the, the delivery guy says, I get another $80 from you and you're like, what? It's only $5 content and he says, well, we charge you on the shipment and the content. <laughs> so, wow. so there's a lot of import tax here and there. So it can be quite tricky. Um, but uh, I would encourage anybody to to travel for as long as they want and and look for work anywhere because I was surprised uh, most of the times to to find work where I never expected it. So it shouldn't it shouldn't uh, hold you back. I, I love hearing you say that because it, it makes it so that it's accessible to everyone, you know, so that people who are listening to this realize that it's, it's accessible to anyone. You, you just got to find a way, I guess. You've, you've got to adjust your lifestyle, maybe change your, um, I don't want to say standard because I think that's, that's a thing that makes it sound like you're going down in life, but your style of living to do something like you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. I think style is the right word because with everything that you cut back on, 
you know, like uh, fancy stuff, you gain a lot of stuff. You gain freedom, peace of mind, you know, and and flexibility and and friendships and and just a new outlook on life. And this is worth a lot more than you know a high uh, living standard by you know the the, the regular terms. And really, you've got the, you know, so the world by its tail, so to speak, because you're traveling with the person that you want to spend your time with, Josephine. Oh, man, I'm such a lucky guy. If if I think about the the girls that would actually do that kind of st- stuff, uh, there's not there's not a lot. And then Josephine rides her own bike. She loves it. She loves to go off road. She's adventurous. And she, uh, you know, has has uh, ideas when I run out of them. So it's, it's, it's fantastic. I mean, yeah, couldn't be more perfect. Think of the odds, you know, it's one thing to find someone that you're compatible with, that you get along with, that you find attractive, et cetera, et cetera. And then narrow it down to somebody who wants to travel and somebody who'll stay on the road. And yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a real find for both of you is to find each other. Oh yeah. No, she's she's my uh, she's my backbone. She's she's really strong in in uh, difficult situations, but when it when it comes to talking somewhere at our presentations, she's she's she doesn't want to have anything to do with it, which is totally fine. I mean, yeah. when I started out, um, I felt very much the same way. I was I I, I had terrible stage fright, and uh, and and it was only when I started to talk about my my travels my adventures that i became confident in what i say because you know um i i really stand for that kind of thing and i really believe in it and i really do this for a reason with purpose and and that enables me to to talk to other people about it because you know there's you know, I'm 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 confident about it, um, but you know, in the beginning when I first started pitching for my movie, trying to find people who helped me finance the post production, it was very hard to to get out there and 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 uh, you know, uh, throw yourself in front of the bus. Um, it's a bit a bit tough. So I totally understand that, and I wouldn't push her. It, there's, there's so many things I want to ask you about when it comes to travel, when it comes to living on the road and surviving on the road. But when it comes to dealing with, for instance, you just mentioned there trying to raise money for your film and trying to do those sorts of things, you, you need connectivity for that. You need a, a place to work. You mentioned you both have laptops. How do you do that? How, like, how do you find your spots where you say, okay, I'm going to settle in here and do some business work? Oh man, this is a very frustrating process every time because uh, having grown up in the Western world, I'm very used to being efficient, being efficient, especially being a German, you know, the reputation. <laughs> it's uh, efficiency is key. And, and then uh, being, you know, on the road and trying to find a spot to, to work, you realize how much it takes or how many factors are required to set up at least a decent uh, uh, work setup. Um, you know, and you never, you never have everything at once. It's either, you know, even if you find a place where it doesn't rain, you know, something with a roof, it doesn't rain on your table and uh, you may have 
like some some really bad noise or somebody's playing loud music or it's the mosquitoes that are killing you or <laughs> the power cuts out every half an hour like we have now here right or the internet drops out you know the, the, the no internet is better than bad internet it's so frustrating you know when when you're trying to do something and uh and it drops out every every few seconds it's so frustrating or at least even even uh, finding a a table to work on you know there were numerous occasions when i stacked our panniers in in our room and found a a door to put over the panniers to sit on them and then set on the bed with no backrest uh, working away you know it's uh, or even if you if you have a chair at the table then they're usually not uh, working together you're either sitting hunched over your laptop from way up high or it's it's not high enough it's it's um, it's frustrating at least uh, for for our budget, I'm sure you can find a nice hotel room which, you know, fulfills all the requirements. Uh, but it costs maybe twenty, thirty dollars, and and our budget is way below that. You know, we 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 always we 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 don't necessarily go for the cheapest option, but um, you usually go for something really budget, which uh, has a plus, has an upside, because in. Uh, in for example in costa rica we we looked for that cheap uh hostel right you know where the sweet spot is and we met uh um lisa and uh lisa and jason Mm -hmm. um we hung out with them we became really good friends they're like just super super cool to hang out with and we would have loved to uh, to travel with them and we only met them because we were on the budget and we, we opted for the same uh, hostel right there's I don't know a hundred hostels in in Costa Rica in San Jose but we met them because we had the same taste so that, that's my <laughs> point basically <laughs> what's difficult with travel, what do you what do you find that's this difficult? I mean, I mean, we just talked about the finding the place to work thing, but what is it that sticks in your mind when you think of traveling all around? That's always been a problem. Right, right, right. Um, I think there's two things. There's difficult and frustrating. You know, there's a lot of frustrating moments when you've had a long day on a bike and then you can't find a camp spot or it's super hot or, uh, you know, uh, you run out of gas or the, 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 the motorcycle brakes or stuff like that. There's, there's frustrating parts. But the only thing that I find really difficult um, <laughs> during my trips, during our journeys, is, is um, when something continues for for a very long period of time for example in we spent eight months in in uh, central america from from mexico down to panama eight months partly because we you know didn't want to rush and 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 also because we had to uh catch the the steel rat to to make it over to uh to Colombia, and at the time, the, the steel rod just had run had their last run for the season, so we kind of had some time on our hands. But the the eight months were in in the in the worst heat that you can imagine, 
And and it continues and it continues and every day it's super hot and you wake up in the morning like soaked in sweat and you know, and it's already too hot and you know the day is going to be hotter. And it's okay, I think, for me to uh, endure that for a couple of weeks uh, and even a couple of months. But going uh, in that heat for months or being in an area like the Middle East um, where it's not only hot, but it's also very hard to to get good nutrition. For example, Pakistan and, and, and these places, they usually eat um, a lot of meat. So just, you can barely get any uh, fresh vegetables and uh, – and and there's not a lot of restaurants because all the families cook at home. You know, it's, it's really hard for some foreigner or some some traveler to find any place to, to buy food. And and there's no supermarkets. And and it's just just you know markets where there's there's half half a uh, animal. Right? They they have hanging there, and then you can chop off a piece and and eat that. Going uh, through phases like that for months and months, this is something I find very very difficult. I find I run out of energy and I find I run out of, of hope and, 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 and uh, good thoughts because I keep enduring the, the one thing uh, for a long time, um, which brings me back to the other way of traveling, right? People go on a trip, ride their, their bike a couple of thousand kilometers for a couple of months and then go back home, work a little bit, make some money, recuperate, you know, have good nutrition, uh, health check, and other things like that, and then continue. But for us, uh, being on the road for two or three years uh, with, with with none of that, that I think is is one of the things that are difficult for me, um, but not difficult enough for me to not do it. Of course, my next question is, what is it that's so great about it? about travel in, gen- in general yeah well this is something i've thought about a lot of times and uh the I light mean, came back on so your power is back on in your restaurant excellent I, i'm curious when the power goes off do they just expect everybody to sit there and or they just don't care what happens well, uh, we're the only ones in the restaurant, which is probably helpful. And all they did, they brought a torch uh, and put it on uh, the next table to uh, next to us, so we can we can see something. <laughs> That's great! <laughs> I just love it. <laughs> so we were, yeah. t- we were talking about what's great about travel. What's great about travel? Yeah, I mean, I've thought about this uh, a lot of times, and I've talked about this to a lot of other travelers to to find out what it is and what the essence is and i think it's it's you can say whatever you want uh, to someone who hasn't experienced it it's impossible to convey um uh, nevertheless i'll just try uh, to, to find what the essence is for us i think um because being on the road uh, everything changes around you and, and you have to uh, kind of adapt all the time, and you have to deal with um, with new things every day, and you and, and life throws uh, challenges at you that you can normally avoid when you're in a, in a regular life. You kind of set up your life so you don't have to deal with that kind of thing or with these kind of occurrences. But but on the road, you can't you can't avoid them. You have to deal with the very 
annoying and corrupt border control or you have to deal with, uh, you know, for example, the Chilean tax system when you when you send a five dollar seal to where you need it. Um, and and because of, of this change and, and, and these these challenges, I think you develop other senses, more senses, which make you live life on, on another level on it's like an intensified way of living everything is is more challenging also interesting and invigorating especially meeting other people uh, and people you wouldn't have dreamed about uh, talking to uh, if, if you just commuted back back and forth between home and work right and this intensified way of living is is so addictive that uh, you just you just will never completely leave traveling alone once you've bitten by the so-called travel bug. What's your advice for someone considering doing something like this? You know, I've I've listened to a couple of episodes of your show the other day just just to get in the mood, and uh, and I think you you ask a lot of people. Uh, this question, and I kind of expected it, which makes sense. But I think apart from from all the things that have been said, it's really difficult to add something. Um, but uh, what kind of advice uh, would I give? I I think I think traveling is 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 very, or like say say uh, long term traveling. Is, is something very personal. I think it's very different for everybody and it can be approached in, in many different ways. And, uh, and and there is a phrase by someone famous, I don't know who, who said it, but he who, who knows how to travel, he'll enjoy it the most. Uh, and and I, I think what it means or what, what I think it means for me is uh, is that everybody has to travel on their own terms and do it the way they think is right and then let it evolve. Um, because I hear a lot of talk in the community about go see this place, ride this bike, um, uh, travel with that gadget and, and, and go to summer or, you know, all these all these tips and tricks. And, and they, they do have value and, and they do work for, for a lot of people. But I think my advice would be just listen to yourself on what you want to do and pursue that in a way that works best for you, whatever, you know, regardless of of what has worked for others, um, because then you'll be you'll be the happiest and get the most out of it. I think that was one of the best answers I've heard for this. That's really good. I like that. How long are you going to be now? Well, I think it's going to be around about a year to to make it all the way back to to uh, Germany. You had to buy a carnet, though, right? Yes, yeah, that's one of the reasons why we went back to Germany. How long did you buy it for? Um, it, it usually is valid for a year, but if you, I mean, that's what I've done on my previous trips. If if it runs out, you just send it back to the ADAC in Germany, and they send you they renew it and send you the new copy, so you can actually oh, stay see. on the road continuously. Uh, and do you buy it? Like, do you actually put the money up for it? Or are you buying the insurance? Um, you pay a small fee. I mean, by small, it's I think 150 
euros or 200 euros per per carnet and that's the the fee for a year and then the deposit you have to put down which depends on how valuable your bike is we put down only 3000 euros per motorcycle and you get that money back at the end when you return 3000 and the bike are they used yeah, bikes? it's not a lot is it no it's not a lot at all. yes yes because oh, because for North America, like if you get it here, you end up having to. You can either go the route of putting the deposit down, which is which can be many times the value of the bike. I'm told, or buying the insurance, which is probably a lot better way to go, where you're paying uh, a certain fee for the year, but it's a lot more than 150 euros. But you're, that's no deposit, though. Yeah, um, I don't know how it works for other countries, but I've been told that it's much more expensive in the UK and other European countries. Huh. Um, I think we're really, really uh, lucky with our uh, German ADAC. Uh, it's really cheap, really affordable, and yeah. yeah, lucky. Well, Daniel and Josephine, you guys take care out there, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, Jim, for having me. It was good fun uh, uh, talking to you, and, and I really like when you emailed me saying, I don't know what your story is. You just have to catch me up when, when we talk. We don't prepare any any questions. I think I like that that approach. That, that really much suits us. Uh, works along with our travels. I think it's a lot more real that way rather than having uh, any sort of prep questions and ideas of where we're going. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I've been speaking with Daniel Rince, and you can find out more about Daniel and Josie by visiting Daniel's website, open-explorers.com. And of course, that link will be in our show notes. You know, while we've been traveling, uh, we've had many opportunities to explore some old cemeteries and things as we go along. And when we go walk through these cemeteries, there's one thing that always grabs us, both Elizabeth and I, as we as we look at the names and the dates and the conditions of the graves. We realize that one day it's inevitable. We're going to be forgotten. Our family and friends will remember us, but that's only while they're still living. When they're gone by, as the years go by, pretty soon we're just a, a name on a gravestone, you know, birth date and a death date. And if we won't be remembered forever, then isn't it only right that we should live life to the fullest, throw caution to the wind, and make memories for ourselves? Why let our fears and and our worries about travel or the unknown stop us? Take the trip that you want to take. Live the lifestyle you want to live, that you've always wanted to live. Be it on the road for 14 years, 14 months, 14 days, whatever. Just get into the rhythm and travel. Experience life, escape the box.
Puget Sound Safety Off-Road, or PSSOR, is an off-road training company. Well, they do on-road training as well, as a matter of fact. But we know them here because you've heard Brett Tax, who is from PSSOR. Brett does our rider skills segment, which you probably learn tons if you have listened to it. Because I know I've learned so much just from listening to Brett. And it really, it really gives you an idea of what you would learn from taking one of these courses that they offer. They've been providing world-class motorcycle training to new and avid motorcycles since 1996. So they've certainly been in a long time. A couple of things you might be interested in their offering. Go to their website, www.psor.com. Look at their ADV training camps and look at their ADV training expeditions slash tours. Both of those would be an excellent thing for any of us to have as adventure riders. They're also going to be doing trips in the east soon as well. So if you're not on the west coast or anywhere near them in the west, you might want to hang in there for their courses that they're going to be offering in the east, I think, as of next year. Drop by their website, pssor.com. Make sure when you're dealing with them, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. This episode is brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles, serving adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories available online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can sign up for their e-rider newsletter too. It's free. That's maxbmw.com. And Best Rest Products, home of Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire and Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. You know, whether you're on the road or off the road, you'll need a compact and reliable tire inflation method. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system and will inflate a flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, and get this, it comes with a lifetime warranty. It's the pump we use here at Adventure Rider Radio. Visit them at CyclePump.com. That's CyclePump.com. Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles, tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding. Green Chili Adventure Gear is also the exclusive USA distributor for Outback Motortech, a Canadian company that specializes in high-quality protection for motorcycles. Visit them at www.greenchiliadv.com. Greenchiliadv.com. Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. I want to tell you, we just passed the two-year mark um, where we've been doing the show now for, well, over two years now. It's been really great, and we really appreciate, and we want to want to say thank you to you, the listener, for listening to the show and, and being here for us. And of course, to everybody who's supported us over the past two years so that we can uh, bring this show to you. We really appreciate that, and, and our heartfelt thanks goes out to you. I want to give a special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin. I'm Jim Martin. Now it's time to get out there and ride your bike. Ride safe. See you next week. I'm Natasha Martin, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. 